Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to continue in 1 Thessalonians where we've been in for several weeks and uh, picked that back up last week. And, but we're going to continue in the message that we left off Last Sunday that uh, I said was going to be in two parts, it was a bit of a longer uh, message, but uh, we want to continue that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 13 through 18, the uh, package of scriptures that we were looking at, and we're going to finish this section this morning. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, it'll be on the screen, but do hope you use your Bibles. That's uh, always a good thing. The Scripture reads, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's always the foundation, the gospel, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray and ask God's blessing over his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have, Lord, your perfect will in these pages. We thank you for, Lord, these pages that have communicated perfectly through the years, God, your plan of redemption, Lord, your promise of a Savior, Lord, your plan of redemption. Lord, your way that you sent the Holy Spirit and works in our life, God, conforming us to Christ. And Lord, the clear, unambiguous promise that you, Lord Jesus Christ, will return physically, bodily again. I pray that today we'll take encouragement from your word. Help us to be good students of the word. Help us to not say more than the scripture says, but certainly Let us not say less than Scripture says, but help us all to be good students, God, to diligently, Lord, study the Word, because we're studying the Word of God. Not man's opinion, but the Word of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. This section, some of this, I'm just going to do a very brief uh, review uh, from last week and encourage you to um, listen online to that, but just to kind of help us this morning. This section of Scripture is some of those most important and informative uh, 
portions of Scripture concerning the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only the second coming of Christ, but it also helps us to understand what happens regarding the death of a Christian. Um, it talks about the rapture or being caught up as the church. It speaks about the physical return of Christ. Uh, later, when we get into chapter 5, it'll talk about a judgment of unbelievers. So, uh, yet, Paul says in verse 18, he wants us to be encouraged with these words. Now, uh, what I said last week, that the context of why Paul is writing what he is writing you remember that Timothy uh, came back and brought him a report from the church that they are doing well, but, but in this report, apparently there were some things that Paul needed to address as an apostle, and thus he wrote 1 Thessalonians. Later, he would write a second letter. Guess what that's called? 2 Thessalonians. You, I want to keep you guys sharp, all right? I want to keep you strong theologically, and uh, you're, you're on the ball there, so that's good. But Paul addressed some issues, and one of the big issues that these believers in Thessalonica had is they had a concern concerning the death of their loved ones who had died. They apparently, because it doesn't seem to be an issue there, and I found this interesting, that in the brief time that the Apostle Paul was with them, and you can read about that in Acts 17, that the brief time that he was with them and whatever time Timothy was there teaching, that these believers, these new believers, this young church, this new church, was taught about the second coming of Christ. So just as a little sideline, that should remind us that this isn't something that we need to wait, that, you know, when a person has been a Christian for 20 years and we want to get deep. No, these are fundamental, basic things of the Christian faith, and so they had no issue concerning the second coming of Christ. That wasn't what they were concerned with. What they were concerned with was that those relatives, those loved ones who had died, are they going to miss this catching up? Are they going to miss the resurrection? Had they just missed it entirely? What about those loved ones? What about them? Are, are they just, and, and they are going to miss out on this, this wonderful, blessed hope, this blessed event. So Paul is writing to ease their minds and help them concerning the issue regarding the death of their loved ones. We have in this church a host of individuals, you here today, those of you watching online have experienced the death of loved ones in the past few years specifically. It seems to have been uh, uh, more than uh, just, just on the average. But, but if you have lost a loved one, a loved one has died, and they were uh, a, a follower, a believer in Christ, then you want to know, well, what does the Bible say? We, well, how will I be reunited with them? Will I see them again? Well, this is not a section he gets into details concerning heaven, but it is the, the title of this section I've called Back to the Future, or what happens when Jesus comes back? What, what are some things that, that we learn here, and we're going to just try to, try to stick with this section here, because when you get into the subject of the second coming, that's a very, and I don't mean complex, it just means that 
Christians through the ages, there's been a lot of ways that Scripture has been interpreted and legitimately tried to understand things regarding the second coming. That isn't what we want to solve today. We want to just try to stick with what the Bible has for us here in this verse 13 through the end of chapter 4. So as we answer this question, or Paul does, will we see our loved ones? That's what Paul wants his readers and the Holy Spirit, who was the one inspiring the, the apostle into these words, wants us to understand today. How will, this, how will this all work out? And there's a couple of things that uh, he gives us, and, and just before I forget, don't miss what he says in verse 15. He says, this, I'm telling you, is from a word from the Lord. This isn't Paul's opinion. You know, there's, there's some situations in the New Testament where Paul says, you know, I'm not speaking apostolically here. I'm giving you kind of, uh, you know, my view on this. But he is speaking and says, what I'm telling you is a word from the Lord. You won't find this in the Old Testament. You won't find this even in the Gospels. You'll find certainly the second coming, Matthew 24 and, and that. But there's some information here that we don't get anywhere else that the Apostle Paul, who says... This is by revelation of God, not the book of Revelation, but the revelation that this has been revealed. This is a word from the Lord. So when Paul says, this is a word from the Lord, and we want to say, well, I don't know if that's really true or not. I'm not sure I really believe that. We're not questioning Paul. We are questioning who? The Lord. Because Paul said, you know, I'm putting the Lord's name on this, so... This isn't just my opinion. Last week, we looked at two headings out of four. We'll finish two of them today. But four aspects concerning what uh, the Word of the Lord teaches concerning what happens when Christ comes back. And we looked at verse 16, and the number one is the return. These are things we covered last week. The return, verse 16. Uh, the Word of the Lord says, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we see in verse 16 several aspects. We see the Savior, the Lord himself. It's not going to be some person like Jesus. It's not going to be some other type of uh, you know, individual or some kind of figure or some other uh, type of apparition or... Uh, uh, no, it, it says the Lord himself, and we connected that to Acts 1.11 when Jesus ascended, when Jesus returned back to the presence or the throne of heaven there in Acts chapter 1 after the resurrection, and you remember the disciples were standing there and these two angels said, you know, why are you gazing up into heaven? Don't you realize that in the same manner, this same one, this same man that you saw Ascend will, in the same way, descend. So he's not talking about somebody that is kind of like Jesus, Messiah-like. Jesus warned in Matthew 24 that one of the signs of the, uh, before his coming that there will be a great uh, influx, and there always has been, of imposters who say they're the Messiah. And Jesus says, if somebody comes along and says, 
Here's the Messiah, or here's the Christ, there's the Christ. You know, he says, don't believe them. There will be imposters uh, that have come along. And we certainly know in our own generation a lot of imposters that have claimed to be a Messiah. Well, Jesus himself will return. But also in verse uh, 14, we see the saints that are mentioned here. For since we believe that Jesus died, And rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now we know, we mentioned this last week in a little more detail, the term sleep is just a term used for death. And it's only used in scripture concerning the death of a believer, because the death was like a sleep. So it is not as Seventh-day Adventists or Jehovah's Witnesses would erroneously teach, it doesn't mean that it is a term soul sleep, that when a person dies, uh, they're just completely dead like an animal. There's no soul, there's no spirit. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So when when a believer dies, your loved ones have died. I had two brothers that died uh, last year within two months of each other, Uh, that when they died, when a person, a believer dies, they are immediately in the presence of the Lord. Okay, that's, again, we won't get into the details of that, but the Scripture teaches that. But it says, what are we talking about? The return of Christ. So as the Lord returns, He will bring with Him those who have previously died. He's bringing with Him. Where are they? Well, we're going to talk about that a little later, but he's going to bring with them when Jesus returns. Um, And then there's a sound, verse 16, that there's a sound. What is the sound? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. Not sure if that is uh, Michael. He's mentioned in, in, um, in Jude 9, but... It doesn't identify, but the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So that concerns the return. If you want to hear more detail of that, I encourage you to listen to last week's message. But there's a second aspect we covered last week, also in verse 16, and that was resurrection. So there's a return, and then we see the Bible teaches in this passage the resurrection, or a resurrection, rather. Verse 16, it says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And we unpack that into some detail, and it would really, uh, you know, we would eat up our time here. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But let me just make this note. I didn't say this last week, and uh, perhaps this is helpful the dead in Christ will rise first. And, and maybe this is a way to kind of briefly um, uh, explain it a little bit and more helpful. To understand this rejoining of the body and spirit. Remember, when a believer dies, their body remains, if you will, in the grave. Okay, It, it remains on, on earth. But that doesn't mean they are dead and do not exist. Their spirit, some people say soul, their spirit, uh, that is what is with immediately in the presence of the Lord. So now what this passage is, passage is teaching is a rejoining 
of the saints who are in heaven with the Lord and rejoining with the body. Now, we know the body, I won't get into detail, but regardless of how that body uh, was left on earth, uh, there is obviously going to be a miracle of God's recreation power of bringing the one who made all the molecules that put the body together, the sovereign God can take all those broken down molecules and remake that perfect body now that it will be resurrected and unite it with us if we are in heaven and we return back to the Lord. But listen, to understand this rejoining of the body and spirit, we need to understand what physical death does to our bodies and spirits. Death in the Bible always means separation. It does not mean annihilation. Again, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists teach that in the final judgment that a person is ultimately in judgment that they are just annihilated and cease to exist. That is not how Scripture uses the term death. People will not cease to exist their spirits, when we die, will still go on. We need to uh, distinguish between a physical death and a spiritual death. All right, hang with me. Uh, th- but this is, again, this is something Scripture is very clear about. We just kind of have to break it down. When Adam and Eve sinned, remember those? Remember them? People say, I came from a dysfunctional family. Everybody came from a dysfunctional family. All right, we're all related to this, these guys. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they died spiritually. That is, they were suddenly separated from God. From that point on, Romans 5 talks about, uses a word called imputation. From that point on, every person was born into this world spiritually dead, spiritually dead, not physically dead, or separated from God. Ephesians 2.1 helps us in that. So when we apply this understanding to physical death, it means that when a person dies physically, when a person dies physically, the death rate in Polk County is 100%. So I'm speaking to a, a, a captivated group here, right? We're not going to get out of it. Our day is appointed by the Lord. Some of you believe that. Some of you just going to live forever. Well, you will live forever, but not in Polk County. But anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't want to get in there. Oh, we don't want to get in there. But listen, when a person dies physically, there's a separation between the material body, my flesh, and the immaterial spirit of the person, okay? There's a separation there at death. When this separation takes place, pay attention now, the body, quote-unquote, falls asleep in language of Scripture. It it remains. We've been separated, all right? It doesn't cease to exist, but in terms of of 1 Thessalonians, the body, so to speak, is dead. It falls asleep, and it is buried. But our spirit, our identity, our real identity of who we are, very real, That is what goes immediately to heaven in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian, as a believer. Uh, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5. 
between a believer's death and the resurrection of the righteous is what Paul's talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the resurrection of righteous believers, the believer's lives, lives rather, the believer lives separated from their physical body, but one day, according to this, that there will be a, a uniting of me as a person who is in the presence of the Lord, that I will be reunited with a new, perfect, resurrected body. All right? That's what Paul speaks about concerning the resurrection. Because, you see, that's why the resurrection of Jesus, remember he's called the first fruits of the resurrection? Why is that a big deal? Because he's proof positive that what he happened to him well, and likewise, we're not going to be little Jesuses in that sense, anything weird there. But it just means that what he, what he happened to him in a resurrected body, he is the first fruits. He's the first one that we likewise will be in eternity, future, that we will be reunited in our physical bodies. That tells you that our physical bodies, even though they've been decayed and marred by sin, the human body is sacred and important to the Lord. Sometimes we just neglect it. Ah, you know, we're going you know, to separate from it. It won't mean anything. Well, apparently it does. Now, it'll be resurrected, meaning it'll be new and perfect. It will be without sin. Won't that be a good thing? It'll be without sin. And so, going back to 1 Thessalonians... Look at Romans 6, speaks about this. Romans 6, verse 5. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, that means that the cross, if you understand Romans 5 and 6 and what's being taught there, we've been united with him in his death at the cross, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4.14, just one more from last week. Knowing that he, God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus, 1 Corinthians 4, and bring us with you into his presence. So we will experience a resurrection. That's what Paul is giving us some instruction here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, let's go to part 2. Let's go to part 2. And you can get more information and detail. Part 2. So, a return, a resurrection, but thirdly, a rapture. A rapture. Verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 4. Then... Okay, then, you got to go look back, verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember, they get first priority. Not the believers who remain at his coming. The dead in Christ will rise first. So that reuniting, that's going to take place first. Verse 17, then, the next thing, the next event. We, us, but who are alive, alive when? At, his, at this coming, we who are alive, remember, they want to know what happens to my loved ones that they missed out. And he said, no, in fact, they're going to be ahead of you. So then we who are alive, 
who are left, what happens to us? Will be, the ESV says, caught up. Most of your versions say caught up. Together with them. Who's the them? Those who have been in heaven in the presence of the Lord that have been resurrected bodies. We're not going to need resurrection. Why? Because we will be at, the, at a catching up, at a rapture, if you will. We won't need resurrection. We will be caught up bodily, physically, with the Lord. Okay? Isn't that what it says? Now, you see, when we talk about rapture, and I keep using that word, it's easier. Uh, the question, the, the issue is, and there's, there's been various approaches and understanding by Bible-believing Christians concerning what, what we're talking about here. Now, here's what I want you to keep in mind. There has never, ever been a denial. Oh, I'm sure those who may not believe Scripture or whatever. But regardless of the various approaches there has always been an agreement that there will be, verse 17, there will be a catching up. There will be a rapture. The debate or the differences isn't so much will this happen, because you'd have to deny what the Scripture says. I mean, that's what it says. The, the debate or the question isn't so much if, it's the when does it happen. And we're not going to talk about that today. But we may come back next week and talk about it. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that today. Um, I might change my mind between now and next week. But, but no, seriously, it is worth talking about. It, and I do want to come back and specifically talk about that next week. But let me talk about rapture, okay? What is the rapture? Mark Hitchcock, who I've uh, benefited from a lot of his books, uh, states this. He says, the rapture of the church... Now, he holds to the view that the rapture, and if you don't know what these terms mean, it's okay. It doesn't, it's, it's, don't worry about it. But he would, he would see that the rapture happens before the, what's called the seven-year tribulation. It's, it's pre, okay? It's before the tribulation, okay? There are some that see it, no, it's more in the middle of a tribulation. It's at the end or, you know, and again, you can uh, lose your mind going through all those things. Thank you for that. <laughs> listen, but, but I'm going to approach it and listen to what uh, this author says. He said, the rapture of the church, and I'm trying to make it a simple, is the first phase of Christ's coming. So my understanding today could change next week, but my understanding and, and, there, and this understanding, and really I would say the understanding of the majority of the church. There are various views. I get it, all right? And I know most of what those are. And I can read some of those views and come away and say, that's it. In fact, about there was a week I would come in and Sherry would be in the, in working at home or whatever, and I'd come in and announce, all right, I've changed my view entirely. I'm doing this. And then I'd come back a week later, all right, I'm back to here again. You know, I'd go back and forth, and she just got to where she just ignored me. But, but, but those who would see that a rapture is going to take place before this tribulation, okay, they would understand that the second coming of Christ is one event with two aspects of it. Uh, and we're going to talk a little more about that in just a minute. The first aspect in this, in this approach, in this understanding, is that the rapture of the church is the first 
component all of the second coming of Christ, that the rapture of the church prior, mid, before uh, a tribu- the tribulation period that the Bible speaks of and, and talks about in Daniel 9, that this and the day of the Lord that we'll look at in chapter 5, that this, that this rapture precedes that period of time which is going to be a suffering and a, and a time of judgment and wrath of God that will be unprecedented. Now, Paul said early in 1 Thessalonians that Christians are not appointed unto wrath, right? But does that necessarily mean we will not suffer hardship and persecution and suffering? I don't think, I think those are two different things. Ask some brothers in North Korea, right? They're not being raptured right now. So I think there's a misunderstanding that the rapture means that somehow we'll avoid suffering and persecution and hardship and perhaps economic hardship because of our faith. I don't think that's accurate at all. But we will be spared the wrath of God that will be judgment, okay? Again, I know I'm kind of treading in some other areas here, so just bear with me. So the rapture of the church is the first phase of Christ's coming. It is the intersection of two events, the resurrection of the dead, which is what We've talked about uh, there in, uh, in uh, previous of only believers and their transformation of a new body reunited with Christ, and they will be immediately uh, together with Jesus in his presence, and he will escort them to heaven to live with him forever. So that term caught, caught up in the Greek, because you know we always have to look. There, by the way, the rapture, the term rapture, is not in the Bible. If you find the word rapture in the Bible, the word rapture, uh, I'll give you a prize, all right? It's not in the Bible. Now, some people say, well, see, it's not taught in the Bible, so therefore it's wrong. Well, Trinity, the word Trinity is not taught in the Bible. So does that mean we just know? So the word in this that the ESV has caught up that the original is the word harp. Harpazo, harpazo, uh, and that word it means and, and uh, is used to speak of being caught up, and it is also used to speak of a forceful seizing or something that is taken over control. Let me give you some examples of how this word that I'm pointing that because there's a screen back there, there's a screen up here, how that word caught up that is was used to talk and be used as rapture, uh, how that word harpazo is used to help us understand it. So when you find a Greek word somewhere, it's important to say, well, where is this used in other places? Because sometimes it may be used a little differently with a little nuance, and it will help you perhaps, because the Bible is the, Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. That's where you need to be a good Student, precept upon precept, line upon line. Uh, And you don't have to turn to these. You'll know these. These are familiar. I'm just going to give you two examples of where this Greek word caught up that speaks of a seizing, a forceful seizing. um, John 10, 12. Listen to the scripture. You're familiar with it. Jesus said, speaking about the shepherd knowing his sheep, John 10, 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming 
and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf harpazos them. What's that word there? And the wolf snatches. That's how it's interpreted in John 10, 12. Same word. Caught up. Snatches. John 10, down in verse 28 and 29. Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will harpazo. No one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. So when you look at that word, caught up, it certainly means that there is going to be a very dramatic, forceful, snatching away that occurs. Now again, I'm not getting into timing. I may have some thoughts or opinions, but that is just what it says. It literally means that all living believers will be literally lifted up from the earth bodily who are alive at this coming. That's just what it means. Okay? You know, there's a few examples that sometimes people look at in Scripture. Do uh, you remember Enoch? Enoch, a guy named Enoch. Um, Genesis 5, uh, 24. Enoch, the Bible says, at one moment he was, and next minute he's gone. Some people say, well, there was a bodily snatching. He's gone, physically gone by the Lord, taken with the Lord. Remember Elijah? Remember he was caught up in the whirlwind bodily, physically? He was snatched away. He was, you could say, he was raptured, if you will. There's an example. Philip over in uh, Acts um, 8, he wasn't physically taken up permanently, but he certainly was snatched away and transported to another location. You're saying, boy, this really sounds like a weird religion. (laughs) Well, it is supernatural. There's stuff that goes on, and there's stuff that will go on. So this literal, again, we're not talking about time, when, pre, mid, post, whatever. There is something that happens. Can we agree on that? There is something that will happen according to Scripture. One generation that is present, we who are alive, one generation will never see death that are raptured. One generation will never have a funeral. One generation will be caught up and taken from the face of the earth to be with Christ. How, um, how will it happen? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, that it will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. As quick as you blinked, that's how quick this can take place. There's three words here, real quick, verse 17. Three words there in verse 17 in the ESV, and that's the word meet, always, and with. We will meet the Lord Jesus. We will be with the Lord, and we will be with Him Always, those who are raptured, taken up in this event, in this moment. Paul said that this is a word from the Lord. Now, I found this interesting, and some of you uh, probably know this, but some have uh, suggested, and, and it's certainly plausible, that Jesus spoke of this rapture 
in John 14. Look at John 14. Remember Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions, King James says. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, and where I am, you will be also. Now listen to what a couple of things here. I found that interesting. John Walbert sees, uh, eh, I'm going to skip what he says. Let me read somebody else. Now, he's a good man, but I don't want to read somebody else for time. Um, if you have a MacArthur Study Bible, you will see this note on John 14, verse 2 and 3. MacArthur said, this is one of the passages that refers to the rapture of the saints at the end of the age when Christ returns. The features in this description, in the John 14, do not describe Christ coming to earth with his saints to establish his kingdom. That's spoken of in detail in Revelation 19. But this is speaking about taking believers from earth to live in heaven, and it describes, by Jesus' own words, the coming for his own who are alive. So, I just say, interesting, interesting, uh, because where he says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. You will be with me, and where I am, you may be also. You see, isn't that a wonderful thing that regardless of whether we are raptured or ruptured or die, or whatever you want to call it, that when we cease to be here, that we will be with the Lord. That is the promise. And some of the details which seem so far beyond us, you know what? God's got under control. But here's the bottom line. You're either going to be with Christ or you will be without Christ. There is no in-between. There's no purgatory. There's no eternal lobby waiting for your number to get called to work out whatever penance you need to do. In the no, there's none of that. You are either with Christ or you are separated from the Lord for eternity. And the Bible calls that hell. That is a promise to be with the Lord who die before or are alive at the rapture that will we be with the Lord. Remember what Jesus told the thief on the cross? He said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. What is paradise? Paradise is where Jesus is. The glory of heaven is not streets of gold. It's not gates of pearl. It's not the river of living water. The glory of heaven is Christ. That the Bible in Revelation says there will be one day... In this glorious, and I'm mixing some things here, but in the glorious consummation of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, that there will be no need for the moon or the sun. Because the Lamb, the Bible says, Jesus will be the light. You see, those planets, they only, they, you know, the moon reflects. We don't need, He is the light. He will be the light of the new heaven 
and the new earth. So we see this return, a resurrection, a rapture, and then fourthly, a reunion. Look at what it says. Verse 17. Then we who are alive at this moment that Paul speaks of, who are left, will be caught up, raptured if you will, snatched together with them. Who's the them? The them are the ones of our loved ones who have preceded us in death, who are returning back with the Lord, who received these resurrected bodies. We will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What a reunion that will be. A reunion of loved ones, of people that we have longed and missed. Let me read to you from the New Living Translation, verse 16 and 17. It will be on the screen. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we, are, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. What a reunion. All of God's children, all through the centuries, all those in Christ, that will be the ultimate family reunion. Ancestry.com will just go crazy over all that. Look, this is what, I'm going to wrap it up, this is what Christians throughout history have believed. Yes, there's been differences on some of the nuances and time and the nature of this, that, and the other, but the bottom line is that we, when we lay our loved ones into the grave, we do it, we have a restful hope, we have a restful hope that one day, if you've been, and many of us have been to too many funerals recently, that we read the scripture where Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live or she shall live. And we read that, we're like, okay, that sounds good, but what does that mean? Paul is giving us some, some information to help us understand what that, what that means about this resurrection. And what, what this reuniting, that was the concern of these Thessalonians concerning the death of their loved ones. Death, hear me, death is not the end for the Christian. It is not the end. It is a mere beginning. The Bible talks about this life as just a, a passing. In fact, James says, your life is like a vapor, a mist. I mean, one day, I'm walking into Wilson Elementary School to Mrs. Seabold to my first grade class with my dad, and in a blink of an eye, I'm turning 60 on Tuesday. And I think, where did it all go? Life goes quickly. Are you ready when it all, when the curtain drops? Don't fear death. He says in verse 18, encourage one another that Jesus, who is our life, he, he has us. Aren't you glad? He knows where to find us. He knows how to snatch us. He knows how to 
draw us into his presence? That we don't have to fear death? The question is, will I see my loved ones again? Well, we know ultimately all those things are in the sovereign God's hands. But a human perspective, in one sense, it depends on them. Do they know Jesus Christ in this life as Lord, Savior? Have they bowed the knee to Jesus, so to speak? The Bible says every knee shall bow. I want to, you need to make, we need to make sure that we bow the knee now when Jesus is Savior and not in eternity when he's our judge. So it depends on them. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. People don't like that exclusivity. Well, I think, you know, all religions kind of have, you know, we're all kind of doing the same thing. No, we're not. The apostles, they didn't have any problem right out of the box. In Acts 4, they said there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, among humankind, by which we must be saved. It's Christ and Christ alone. But if our loved ones died in Christ, then yes, we will see them again. But there's another question, or another statement, is not only does it depend on them, but it depends on us. Wouldn't it be horrible for them to be looking for you, and you're not there? Well, I thought they were. I mean, they went to that Grace Church. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know? That in a twinkling of an eye, whether the Lord comes back or whether he comes back for you today, tomorrow. But you know, not because you came to church on Sunday, not because you left God a tip, not because you were catechized, baptized as an infant, but because... You rested your life and hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That you believed that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior. That he rose from the dead. That you are not your own. That you belong to him. And that the only entrance requirement into heaven is Christ. All our deeds, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. Nobody's going to be trying to impress God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, there will be those that say in that day, I think that's that, Matthew, that Revelation 19, that day, because the rapture is not about judgment. It's about blessing. But in Revelation 19, when the dead who are unbelievers are raised... They'll be raised unto judgment. And I believe that's what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 7. Where he'll see, say, there'll be those who say to me in that day. That's Revelation 19. In that day, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We prophesied, we cast out devils. We did, they, we did some really dramatic stuff. And what did Jesus, what will Jesus say my words will be? He says, I never knew you. It didn't mean he didn't know they existed. That's impossible. Meaning, I had no relationship with you. 
There will be those that the deception will be so great, they'll be waving their spiritual resumes before Jesus before they are cast into the pit of hell with Satan because they rejected Christ. That's a sobering thing for us to say, Lord Jesus, am I trusting in my spiritual resume? Is my hope in you? Unbelievers and believers both die. They're buried side by side, if you will, in graves, cemeteries. What's the difference? The difference is that the only thing standing between unbelievers and believers is the promise of the Word of God that Jesus Christ will come for His own and receive us to Himself and we will forever be with the Lord. That's the difference. And so my plea before you this morning is the trust in Christ. Trust in Christ.